welcome to today's service. We're glad that you could join us today, and we hope today's service can be a blessing to you and give you hope in this time. If you haven't yet, check out our Facebook page at Evangel Pentecostal Church and make sure to follow us. And if you have kids, you can check out the Kids Ministry page at EPC Kids Ministry, and you can follow that page as well. And don't forget to check your emails regularly for emails from the pastors, as well as the junk folder, sometimes emails end up there, for information about updates for the church, and also links to the weekly Zoom meetings for prayer time. Without further ado, thank you and enjoy the service. Last week, we highlighted one of the global worker families that we support in Siberia, Russia. This week, we'd like to highlight and feature another family that we support. This time, it's Felix and Cecilia Cherasiri and their daughter Hannah, who are serving in South Africa. They are doing many wonderful things in the midst of this pandemic, and we want you to have an opportunity to hear from them briefly this morning. Greetings from the sunny South Africa. We are right here in um, 10 rooms. It's a community that is close by to our church, and it's uh, in need of food. It's an informal settlement, and most of our people here can't... Uh, uh, get uh, food or get to the cities because most of the roads also are blocked and it's difficult for them because they can't get money um, to buy some of these uh, basic necessities. So we want to thank you all our supporters for coming alongside and um, touching lives here in uh, 10 rooms in Hartbisfoot in South Africa uh, for giving them a food parcel that they can uh, go home and feed their families. So uh, many families right now we are feeding about 30 families and we plan planning on extending the number so that we can touch more lives, we can feed more lives and um, uh, before any uh, food is distributed we share the word of God and we encourage the people that you know God is their only sole provider. So right now as we have started we you shall see some of our uh, community members receiving some food. So thank you for your generosity and uh, we bless you and we um, uh, pray a blessing over your life in Jesus' name. Good morning, Evangel. Good to see you. We're happy to be together. Want to remind you this morning that no matter what's happening in our lives, there are 10,000 and more reasons to celebrate the goodness of God. The sun comes up, it's a new So 
verses 1 to 5 and 9 to 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. No, I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Good morning. A few years ago I was on a flight and I was sitting on the aisle seat. There was a man sitting next to me and then on the other side of him was his girlfriend. She was working on some sort of puzzle and she wasn't really talking until she got to the point where she didn't know the answer to one of the questions. And so she looked at him and of course I could overhear the whole conversation. And so she looked at him and she said, can you tell me what a padlock is? Now, personally, I couldn't believe that she didn't know what a padlock was. And if I was to be honest, I was judging her intellect Well, just a little. Okay, maybe a lot. That was, of course, until her boyfriend answered her by telling her that a padlock is a lock that has a keypad that you punch the numbers into. Suddenly, my judgment of low intellect shifted from her to him. The most intriguing part of this encounter at the time was the fact that how readily she accepted his answer. No question, no doubt. She was in love. She trusted him. She had faith in him. In fact, she believed in him even though he was wrong. Even though he was wrong. Who you put your trust in, who you put your faith in, is critically important. Now, last week, we started a new sermon series entitled Finding Faith. 
And we said the goal of this series is that we will all find faith in God and learn to put our trust in him because he can be trusted. We're basing this series on Hebrews chapter 11, which is one of the most familiar chapters in the Bible and centers around the subject of faith. Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is intended to show us that faith in God enables us as believers to press on despite our present realities because who we trust impacts how we live. The author selects some of the great heroes of the Old Testament throughout history, and he references how faith motivated and led them forward regardless of their circumstances. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be considering some of these heroes of the faith and looking at them in greater detail. Last week, we began by establishing an understanding of faith based on what the author provides for us in this chapter. And we saw that faith has present, past, and future implications. Today, we're going to consider Abraham as a person of faith. He was a person of faith because he had a conviction of belief that led him to trust in God that in turn shaped how he lived. The life of Abraham teaches us that God keeps his promises even though the reality of his promises sometimes seem impossible. Abraham's faith starts with a burst of trust, quickly descends into a pit of doubt, and is redeemed in the end, through a significant test. So let's start with trust. The story of Abraham starts abruptly. Very few details. No time given to character development. However, it doesn't take us long to discover the kind of person that Abraham was and the trust that he had in God. God spoke to Abraham in an audible voice, asking him to set out on a journey to a new land. Having God speak to you in an audible voice is not an everyday occurrence. Well, that's my experience anyway. But it's more unusual in this story. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. Abraham was an idol worshipper, worshipping many gods prior to this encounter with God. God chose Abraham not because of his current trust, not because of his current faith in him, or because Abraham had proven himself to God over time, but because God saw the future potential in Abraham. God focused on what would be, not on what was. Not only did God ask Abraham to leave his home country, his people, his family, he made him a promise. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. The word will here, W-I-L-L, leaves us with two realities. The first, it is absolute. It's going to happen. And secondly, it has a future tense 
apply to it. It's something that's going to happen down the road. Not right now, but down the road. In fact, Abraham did not get to see the full promise of God realized in his lifetime. Abraham left his country, he left his people, he left his family, as God had asked him to do. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot and Lot's family, his servants and his possessions, and he set out to find a land that he had never seen, promised by a God he had previously not even known. And his direction was clear. God would tell him when he arrived. Abraham, interestingly, was 75 years old when he set out on this journey of faith, a journey that began with trust. Secondly, doubt. Abraham had enough faith in God to leave everything behind because he believed in God's promise. And as long as the promise was attainable, as long as the promise was in view, Abraham's faith was strong. But suddenly, Abraham was faced with circumstances that caused him to doubt God's promise. And his doubt caused him to take matters into his own hands. Now, there were three circumstances that I really want to briefly look at that caused him to do this. First one happened in Egypt. A famine came upon the land Abraham had barely settled in when he had to leave again for food. Because of the fertile Nile plain, Egypt had an abundance of food, so Abraham went there. He was familiar with the loose morals of the Egyptians and he was concerned about his beautiful wife. If the Egyptians desired Sarah, they would certainly kill him so they could take her for their own. So instead of looking to God for help, having faith in the promises of God, he took things in his own hands and he asked Sarah to lie about their relationship and to say that she was his sister. Immediately, the Egyptian princes saw Sarah and they took her to Pharaoh and Pharaoh took her for himself. Consequently, God had to intervene, cause diseases to fall upon Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh then discovered that this was the reason that Sarah was indeed Abraham's wife, and so he expelled them from Egypt. The second thing happened with Hagar. Ten years had passed since God initially made the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. Sarah was unable to have children, time was slipping by, and the promise of God was in doubt. Once again, circumstances were creating doubt in the promises of God. Perhaps they needed to help God in some way. There was a custom from their homeland that seemed to be the answer to their dilemma. A childless wife could provide a servant for her husband to bear a child on her behalf. The child that was born as a result of this arrangement would be considered the wife's child, not the servant's. So Sarah offered Abraham her Egyptian slave, Hagar. He readily accepted the offer and Hagar conceived. Ultimately, Hagar turned on Sarah, showing her some disrespect. Sarah became bitter. She became abusive to Hagar. This was not a good arrangement and this was not God's plan. It was the result of their doubt in the promise of God. The third and final example I want to look at is with Abimelech. 
Abraham ended up moving the location of his tent close to Philistine territory. Once again, he was afraid of King Abimelech because, like the Egyptians, he was known for his lust. Again, Abraham lied about Sarah because of fear and doubt. But God intervened once again and appeared to the king. By letting circumstances create doubt in God's promise, Abraham lived by a dangerous motto. Abraham believed that the end justified the means. And he did inappropriate things to protect God's promise. It wasn't his place to protect God's promise. God's promise was God's promise. It was God's to protect. Abraham's faith had spiraled from trust to doubt. Thirdly, test. Finally, the day came when God allowed Sarah to become pregnant and Isaac was born. You can imagine the joy, their own child, the fulfillment of the promise of God. It was worth the long wait in this moment. But there was more to the promise than just having a son. In order for God to fulfill the promise to Abraham, some changes needed to happen in Abraham's life. God brings change in a life most often through the testing of faith and character. So God hit Abraham with the unthinkable. He asked him to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, on an altar on Mount Moriah. Now I want you to note the responses that are recorded in this story. First, Abraham's response. Without telling anyone, Abraham decided to do what God had asked him to do. Plans were made to get up early in the morning, gather the supplies that were needed, and go to Mount Moriah. The morning came, the supplies were gathered, the servants were rounded up, and off they went. We're not told about Abraham's thoughts or emotions, but you can feel the heaviness in the story. They traveled until they came to the base of the mountain, and Abraham asked his servants to stay there while he and Isaac made their way up the mountain towards the place of sacrifice. Once they arrived, they built the altar and arranged the wood. He then tied Isaac up and placed him on the altar. Secondly, we see Isaac's response. We often imagine Isaac as this little boy. And I'd like to suggest to you today that this is not the case. The word used for lad here is a term to describe a child anywhere from infancy all the way up to 17 years of age. In fact, the language used here in terms of the servants is the same language that's used in reference to Isaac. Isaac was old enough to carry the wood and the hot coals. Isaac was old enough to notice that they had wood and they had fire, but there was no lamb for the sacrifice and asked why. Isaac is most likely old enough and strong enough to resist Abraham, his elderly father, if he desired to do so. But he allowed his dad to tie him up and place him on the altar. He trusted his dad's faith in God. And finally, and most importantly, I believe we see God's response. Isaac is bound. He's laid on the altar. Abraham has drawn his knife and raised it. But as he is just about to bring it down, an angel of the Lord spoke to him and told him to stop. 
Abraham had passed the test. He was willing to be obedient to God to do exactly what God had asked him to do. By being willing to sacrifice Isaac, he showed his faith in God. There's a ram, we're told, that's caught in the thicket nearby. And Abraham retrieved it and he and Isaac offered it up to God as a sacrifice together. Abraham called this place Jehovah-Jireh, which means God will provide. It has been a long journey for Abraham to reach this reality that God who makes promises is one who provides for his promises. I want to conclude today by offering three observations that come from this story. The first is in terms of testing. Testing is a part of God's plan. If there are no tests, there will be no testimony. If there are no tests, there will be no testimony. Our lives, our character are forged in the fires of adversity and testing. Any testimony that holds any value flows from the deepest, most painful moments of our lives. Now, there are two reasons for tests given in Scripture. First, tests are an opportunity for God to prove himself to us. We are tested and we are shown that God can be trusted. Secondly, tests are an opportunity for us to prove ourselves to God. That often our faith, which comes off as being theory, now is shown to be reality. So tests are an opportunity for God to prove himself to us and an opportunity for us to prove ourselves to God. For God to fulfill some of the promises that he has made to us, there most often needs to be a change in us. Often we are our own greatest hindrances to God, what God wants to do in us and through us. Even though we don't like testing, and most people I meet do not, God uses difficulties to accomplish his purposes in us. I have met people who are angry with God, who question God, who doubt God, who don't understand why. Our responsibility in the midst of painful trials is to allow God to do what he wants to do in us. We have to come to the place where we see every difficulty as a growth, as a change opportunity. We have to come to the place where we give God all of the painful moments of our lives and allow him to bring something good out of those painful moments. It's time to give God what we regret. It's time to give God what we resent. Let him do what he does best, which is bring good things out of bad things. Folks, God loves us too much to leave us where we are and how we are. He has too much for us to allow us to fall short. The second observation is in terms of delay. There are many promises in scripture that apply to all believers, all followers of Jesus. They're rooted in the very character of God and they flow to those who put their trust in him. But there are other promises that God makes to us as individuals, promises that God makes in individual situations. And these promises are unique to us. 
God's plan to work in our individual lives, in our families, in the church that we're a part of. And sometimes it seems that God is slow in keeping his promises. Things appear different than we expected them to be. And we begin to wonder if we should do something to help things along. Perhaps God needs our help. And so we fall into the trap like Abraham of believing that the end justifies the means and we begin to take things into our own hands trying to help things happen. Folks, it's not our place to protect the promises of God. The promises of God are God's. It's our place to be people of faith. How can we have faith in God when the promises he makes are either delayed or we know that we're not going to see them in our lifetime? I would suggest today that we need to make God the focus of our faith, not the promises that he has made to us. When God becomes the focus of our faith, not the things that he promises, it's easier to have faith in him. When we really learn to have faith in God, to trust him, to do what he wants, to go where he asks, to make the sacrifices he requires, we will see his promises fulfilled. Finally, willingness. The many steps to Mount Moriah show that Abraham was willing to be obedient and have faith. But the defining point, the point that removed any doubt of Abraham's obedience was when he raised the knife. It was at that moment that Abraham demonstrated that he was willing to sacrifice what was most precious to him. It was this moment that defined Abraham as a man who understood the concept of faith. So let me ask you today, what is God asking you to give to him? What is God asking you to lay on the altar today? Is it your dreams? Is it your career? Is it your plans? Is it your education? Is it the position that you currently hold somewhere? Is it the salary that you're making? Is it the lifestyle that you're living? Is it a sin that's in your life? Is it an attitude that you have? Is it a relationship that you're in? Is it something to do with your family? Is it your history? Is it your, the hurts that have been brought into your life? Is it a broken heart? What is God asking you to give to him? The truth is, we learn from Abraham that God cannot give back to us what we are not willing to give to him. Hear me, God cannot give back to us what we are not willing to give to him. The harder you have to work for something, the longer you have to wait for it, the harder it is to give it up. I understand that. Isaac was a lifelong dream. That dream was realized when Abraham was old. God's promise to Isaac, of Isaac to Abraham was the focal point of his family, his marriage, their whole lives. Deciding to lay him on the altar was without doubt the most painful moment of Abraham's life. Being willing to sacrifice what matters most to us is difficult, it's painful, and it's not done on a whim or with emotion. It carries consequences. It changes the direction of our lives. It impacts other people in our lives. Folks, faith is not about what is easy or what is hard. It is about being willing to find your life by laying your life down. In conclusion this morning, 
I want to remind us that we learn from Abraham that testing is a part of God's plan. If there are no tests, there will be no testimony. We learn from Abraham that it is not our place to protect the promises of God. The promises of God are God's. It's our place to be people of faith. We learn from Abraham that God cannot give back to us what we are not willing to give up, what we are not willing to give to him. Abraham reminds us that God keeps his promises even though the reality of his promises sometimes seem impossible.
I'd like to end our service by praying with you today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for all those who have been a part of our service. And God, we pray that we would learn some lessons from Abraham, things that we can apply, understanding how to be people of faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put our trust in you, to believe in the promises that you've made, and to allow you to work them out in our lives. Lord, as we go through the times of testing, I pray that it would be opportunity for you to prove yourself to us and for us to prove ourselves to you. Would you help us? Would you strengthen us? Would you be with us? Would you lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us today. God bless you and enjoy your week.